begin. Hi, everybody. Uh, so previously, we had found Rabbi Nachman. Um, we had found Rabbi Nachman uh, really meditating upon the value, the relative spiritual value of katnus, of uh, achieving this kind of smallness that Rabbi Nachman sought in order to prepare himself for his eventual uh, landing in Eretz Yisrael. And, um, and we, find, uh, we find that Rabbi Nachman, things had come to a head. He had already revealed his identity uh, to those that were asking, and he had found this fixer that was going ahead and would uh, help him. And Rabbi Nachman had also been uh, involved a little bit with uh, a certain rabbi who had come, Rav Zev Wolf, who had come from uh, on a boat and had met Rabbi Nachman in Istanbul and started to treat Rabbi Nachman with the degree of covet and honor. And, um, and things were basically waiting for the next stage of Rabbi Nachman's journey. And uh, we finished off last week talking about the, the importance, what it means to achieve a smallness, what it means to uh, hit a place of spiritual smallness and to be able to go ahead and to use as a catapulting uh, for the next level, uh, to be able to reach the next stage of one's spiritual journey. And we see that as now uh, actualizing the next stage of Rabbi Nachman's physical journey, which will eventually uh, find him in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, in the first year, just a, a prefatory remark, in the first year, we talked about uh, my, my, my assertion, Aniyah uh, Katan, right? There's many people who know Breslov Torah far, far better. But my assertion that Rabbi Nachman, everything that Rabbi Nachman says uh, later on, all of the Rabbi Nachman's teachings that come later on can be found uh, in this trip. If you dig deep enough, you'll find pretty much everything from Rabbi Nachman's later Torah in this trip. And that's not just true from a historical, literary sense that Rabbi Nachman's writings were basically commanded to be tossed out. Anything that came from before the trip to itself. We're on page uh, 41, Men Aleph, and we're at Piskaya Dalit. Um, but in a, in a deeper sense, in a deeper sense, the trip itself generates. Uh, many of the hasagot, many of the understandings, and many of the uh, many of the insights into human nature and into Torah that Rabbi Nachman has later on in his life, which start to uh, really explode after this journey. Uh, Rabbi Nachman's continued uh, continued mayanam gaber, the continued outpouring of Torah that comes from Rabbi Nachman in the uh, in the short years of his life. After this, he's only twenty six and he passes away at uh, he passes away at thirty eight. But we find that this trip, uh, not only does it generate the Torah, but it also is, uh, is really like an inflection point for what Rabbi Nachman is meant to become. Three statements that I think are crucial. Uh, you know, you try and sum up Rabbi Nachman in different statements. Three statements that I think are crucial to understand Rabbi Nachman because he told us, this is how you want to understand me. So focus on these three statements. The first statement that Rabbi Nachman said originally in Yiddish, and I'm going to mangle it, but the, the Yiddish is, Gormai Nezach is Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Nachman said, my entire thing, everything about me is Rosh Hashanah. A very cryptic statement. It's repeated in Chaim Oran. It also has an uh, allusion in Likutim Oran, Rabbi Nachman's masterwork. Rabbi Nachman said, my entire... Uh, everything I am is Rosh Hashanah. You want to understand me, you have to understand what Rosh Hashanah is. And we'll see later on, Rabbi Nachman encouraged his followers during his lifetime, and especially after his lifetime, after he passed, to go ahead and to visit him uh, in Uman, in his resting place for Rosh Hashanah. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end. One important statement, Garmai Nezach is Rosh Hashanah, my entire thing is Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Nachman said one other thing is also his entire being. He said, Garmai Nezach is Tefillah, my whole essence is Tefillah. And as we mentioned in the earlier Shiurim, Rabbi Nachman wanted to educate us that, uh, that Tefillah is, uh, is, is not just a, a complex way in which we go ahead and detach ourselves to God, all the different kinds of tefillah, as we'll see today, the value of non-tefillah, when to daven and when not to daven. But we also see that Rabbi Nachman saw tefillah as the simplest way of connecting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A tefillah pshuta, hopefully, uh, when a person is misboded, when a person separates themselves from everybody else, a very important breast of practice is the practice of daily seclusion as much as possible uh, to go ahead and to to be alone with one's thoughts and with one's God and with one's prayers. And that is an important Breslov practice. So two things, Rabbi Nachman says, this is my essence, Gormai Nezach is Tefillah and Gormai Nezach is Rosh Hashanah. And then the final thing that Rabbi Nachman, and this might be the most famous statement attributed to Rabbi Nachman, it appears in Likut Maran Tinyana in Torah Memches, Rabbi Nachman says, uh, basically a version of Kolo Olam Kulo Gesher Tsar Me'od Vayikar Lo Lefach Iklal. What Rabbi Nachman really says is not just describing that the world is a Gesher Tsar 
world, that the world is a narrow bridge and, and everything, right? We have the precipice on both sides of us and we want to be afraid not to fall off this teetering bridge. But in a deeper sense, Rina Nachman, the real quote is Rina Nachman charged us to cross that bridge. He says, Da, Shekola Adam Tzarich La'avor Al Gesher Tzarmod. You should know that you have to pass over this bridge. There is no can't, right? You must do this. This is what life is. Vayikar Lo Lehit Pached Klal. And there's like a Hit Pael over there, right? Not to be afraid, not to make other people afraid, not to allow oneself to become afraid. It's a reflexive kind of thing. The less fear that we have, the less fear that we allow to take over us, uh, that's certainly the less fear and the and, and that's where we derive our strength and bravery with which to encounter the narrow bridge that sometimes is our world. So with those three things in mind, I think we're going to see these three ideas uh, come out very beautifully in the few chapters that we're going to learn tonight. And uh, if I could help it, we will find ourselves together with Rabbi Nachman, at least in a literary sense, uh, on the shores of Eretz Yisrael, on the shores of Eretz HaKedosha, as his journey reaches its climax. So join me. Ve'az be'oso ha'es. So we're in Yudalit, 14. And then at that time, there was the Hatsarfat, the French, was the Napoleonic Wars. That uh, Napoleon's navies are heading towards Turkey, towards the, uh, towards the western banks of the Mediterranean, to Israel, to Egypt, as is well known. When the people of Istanbul heard that the winds of war are starting to get stronger, and Napoleon's navies are coming across the sea. So they didn't want to let the community decide nobody's going to be allowed to leave, especially out the walls of our city. Nobody's going to allowed to leave onto, uh, onto the water. Now we do know that uh, we do know from historical sources, even when it wasn't a time of war, Jewish communities on the Mediterranean, I just met somebody whose family's from Rhodes, which is pretty cool, uh, used to have a very famous port, which was guarded by the, come on, one of the wonders of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes, right? Massive statue that used to straddle the major port of Rhodes. These Jewish communities and these port cities, so they did a, a lot of what was called Pidyon Shvuyim. There would be many pirates, Barbary pirates, that would go ahead and would take uh, especially important people captive, and they would be ransomed and redeemed by these communities. Tremendous mitzvah and eschus for those communities. So they didn't want to let anybody go onto the uh, to sea to leave their city. Everybody should stay put, should hunker down, uh, shelter in place for now. Nachman didn't pay any attention to what their uh, to what their warnings were. He wanted to go ahead and to uh, make himself hafki. He wanted to go ahead and, and and totally give himself up. To come what may, Rabbi Nachman didn't want to care about himself at all. To be mafkir is in a sense to abandon oneself to all the things that might happen. Rabbi Nachman is now engaged in the most uh, serious avot of his journey. He could maybe sense that this is the crux. Will it happen? Will it not? We talked last week about the danger he sensed and the death of great Sadiqim that happened uh, in Istanbul before on the leg of this journey and his own great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tuvu, had to turn around at this crucial part. Rabbi Nachman decides that the way to go ahead and to deal with it now is to abandon oneself to whatever is going to happen. And he told the person that was with him, so I want to issue a corrective. I know that I've been saying that the man that's been with Rabbi Nachman has been that Rav Shimon, the person who became the host of Rabbi Nachman the day after his marriage, it seems to be that in Breslov sources and secondary Breslov sources that the name of the Chassid was a certain Rav Yitzchak. So I was uh, I, I stand corrected. Uh, definitely the, the stronger Breslov traditions that the name of the Chassid with him is Rav Yitzchak. So, he's, so I mean his name is left out of this recounting anyway, so I don't know how crucial it is, but I guess it's important to mention my mistake. So he said to the person who was with him, Teda, you should know. I want to go ahead and I want to put myself in danger, right? I, I need to do this. I need to endanger myself. Even in the worst kinds of danger, I understand the risks involved here. But that's for me. It's not for you. So therefore, if you want, take with you, I guess, whatever money they had left. Right? right? Turn back. You don't have to join me on this most dangerous leg of the journey. You've certainly, uh, while we were uh, going incognito and playing these games with people of mistaken identities and assumed identities, you've certainly been amazing up to this point. You don't have to continue the journey with me. 
Return home in peace. And I'll sneak out and I'll continue. I'll, uh, I'll steal out of the city when I have the chance. The only person I want to endanger, the only person I want to abandon is my own self. Come what may, whatever happens, I, I'm prepared for this. So the man that was with the Rinachman, as a good chassid, goes ahead and says, No, absolutely no, uh, no way. He says, The place where my master goes, whether that's for life or death, that's where, his, that's where his servant is going to be with him. This sounds like what? I ask you, sounds like Rus, right? That immortal Pasuk from Rus, where Rus says to her mother-in-law, she says, Don't tell me to leave you, right? To turn back from you. Where it is that you go ahead, I will follow you. And she says, the end, dominantly, she says, Where you die, that's where I shall die, and that's where I shall be buried. So we see almost here, like, I think a sense, I don't, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but as I said, part of the ground rules for our game over here is that we're understanding that this is a significant text, that the words here carry significance, and that as any literary text, we're meant to delve into the significance. So if I were to look at the significance of this statement, and, the, and certainly uh, Rav Nassim knew the allusion to Rus over here, certainly we see that, uh, that there's a kind of conversion that's being undergone over here, both Rabbi Nachman and ostensibly the chassid that's going to be going with him, this hefker, right, this making oneself, totally abandoning oneself to the circumstances in the hopes that there will be some great revelation that comes after it so that he's certainly prepared to do. I want to just go back and, and point out, I mentioned last week, we didn't quite get to it, that we see Rabbi Nachman violating a halacha over here, right? We know that the Gemara tells us, we have, of course, Sukim in the Torah that tell us, a person has to guard themselves well. We're not let to go ahead and put ourselves in danger, right? Certain people say that that's a prohibition on skiing, for example. Other people say it's a prohibition on smoking the cigarettes, right? So all these different and things, drinking to excess, right? A person has to guard themselves and guard their bodies, right? The guf tov is in shama tov. A healthy body is a healthy soul. And that's how we go ahead and we serve Hashem. We're not supposed to go ahead and destroy our bodies. The Torah does enough of that because the Gemara says, a Torah is The Torah goes ahead and weakens a person when they study Torah, as what happened to Reish Lakish in the banks of the Jordan River. However, we find this separate prohibition, a more intense prohibition, that a person is forbidden to go ahead and to be misaking themselves. A person is not allowed to deliver deliberately put themselves in danger. In fact, it is the Gemara and Tanis of Tavchav on, Davchav, on, uh, on page 20, folio B, and it says, A person is not allowed to place themselves deliberately in a place of sakana. And Tosfos asked the question in Mesechus Ksubos. I don't have this off the top of my head. I, read, I wrote it down for myself when I was preparing, right? just lest anybody think I know what I'm talking about. But uh, the Tosfos Ksubos tells us, but one second, don't we know? Don't we know that everything is in the hands of God? And if you would ask Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman is certainly putting himself in position now. This is in the hands of God. The culmination of this journey right now is in the hands of God, come what may. So the Gemara says, no, so how come a person can't put themselves b'makum sakana? Right? Why isn't a person allowed to go ahead and put themselves in a dangerous place? God will go ahead and guard them. And God will go ahead and have them be killed by the circumstances. So we have a line, right? For example, we say, that God goes ahead and guards the fools. Now, the Tosos goes ahead and makes a distinction. Hein ba'onis v'hein ba'ratzon. Hein ba'onis v'hein Right? Sorry. If a person goes ahead and through negligence places themselves in a Muslim Sakana, that's what's prohibited. But if a person, is, a person is forced by his circumstances to be in a dangerous place and has to go ahead and make you know, difficult choices about uh, what kind of a dangerous situation I'm going to place myself in. So that's a different story. Then a person has to make a, a human choice. They have to use their seichel and they might have to go ahead and put themselves in a dangerous place in order uh, to accomplish that which they need to accomplish. The problem is over here, I said, oh, you know, maybe we find that we could say a parish, the Rinachman himself finds himself in a position of onus, right? That there's absolutely no turning back for a Rinachman. That there's absolutely, he's gone too far. He's made his way too deep into the journey. He's too deep in it to go ahead and to turn back. He's able to tell 
Yisraeli Chassid that's with him, you turn back, but I have to finish this journey because otherwise Rabbi Nachman sees himself in the kever that's right next to Rav Daftali Katz, the Baal Smichas Chachamim, that's buried in Istanbul. Maybe Rabbi Nachman finds itself in Onus, but the problem is that the next sentence stymied me because Rabbi Nachman then tells the Chassid, he says, She'ani rotzelis me. I want to go ahead and do this, which sounds like Rabbi Nachman is, uh, there's a degree of pshia over here. The only terrets that I could find, because we have to understand that Sadik would Khalila violate the laws of Torah, right? And Khalila violate the dictums of Chazal. Maybe that's what Rabbi Nachman is just telling the person that's with him, because if he tells him it's an onus for him, then of course, of course this chas is going to stay with him. The Rebbe is in place of duress. The Rebbe is in a place of, of, of no choice, and he has to go and do this. So then, of course, the chas won't turn back. So maybe Rabbi Nachman has to tell him, I want to do this, because they both know the Gemara, and they both know the Tosfos over there, the distinction between pshia negligence and onus. And when you have no choice, maybe that's how Rabbi Nachman is, is getting this person to turn around. Because if he tells him, look, I have absolutely no choice in the matter over here. Right? I'm going to die if I turn back. And I feel myself that this is going to be it for me. And I have to put myself in sakana. I have to be mafke myself. I have to abandon myself to the continued circumstances. Maybe, maybe then the chassid would never turn around. So Rinachim wants to give his chassid a real opportunity to turn back. That's my, uh, that's my own, uh, not that the tzaddik needs any, not that there needs to be any tzidkas tzaddik over here, any sort of justification of the tzaddik, but that's what I think it is. And the reason I think it's so crucial is because whenever we find people engaging in what might be strange spiritual activity or deeply subjective spiritual activity where a person is doing what, that which feels right to their own soul in a particular thing. So Judaism does have room for that. Judaism does have room for a person to discover their own path over that narrow bridge that we talked about. Everybody's got to cross it in their own specific way. You know, some people might use it as monkey bars and swing down on the other side of the bridge, and some people might take you know, little baby steps uh, for each step and check the, the wind and check how it's shaking, right? But, but on, on all accounts, Right, a person's subjective path in Avodah Hashem and where they choose to go ahead and allow their individual nature to come out. So that has to be circumscribed within the halacha. I mean, whereas Judaism does give us this realm of subjectivity, this realm of personal choice, this realm of personal self-expression in our Avodah Hashem, we have to ensure that it doesn't violate, it doesn't violate a sif in Shulchan Arach. It doesn't violate, and Rabbi Nachman was scrupulous about this. He told this Talmidim, for all the Hasidus, one thing you have to do learn every day is you have to learn Shulchan Arach every single day before you even learn any Hasidus. You have to break those klipas. You have to break those shells. The, the, the barriers for us to open our hearts have to be broken through limit ha'halacha. So I, I find it difficult to imagine that Nachman would just deliberately put himself in a place of sakana if he had absolutely no choice. They would be mafkir himself unless he internally felt that there was absolutely no choice and he was indeed following the halacha over here. That one who is in a place of onus, one who is in a place of extreme duress, that they are allowed to go ahead and violate the dictum of the Gemara in Sechistanis, that they are allowed to be masakana in themselves. Anyway, Shine put an end to that uh, particular discussion. So his uh, Rabbi Yitzchak tells him, look, Rabbi, I'm going with you wherever you go. So God, in His infinite mercy, caused circumstances to, to revolve until the point that after a day or two, the following was heard. In Istanbul at the time was a great wise person from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem, who's involved in the holy mission of gathering donations and other shlucha derabanan, who's gathering donations for the poor, the destitute Jews of Yerushalayim. And he was going to stay in Istanbul another year. And immediately he jumped up and he said to the people of Istanbul, You must know, right? They must have known this individual. He'd been there for some time. He says, You must know I need to return to Jerusalem. Despite the ban on travel across the Mediterranean, right? I need to travel to Yerushalayim. I need to go back. He says, He says, I could see that my days are numbered. I could see that, um, right, it's time for me to pass on from this, mor- to, sh- to, to pass on from this mortal world and to, uh, to go and to pass on to the next world. He says, and you guys, you don't need to worry so much. Pauline's armies are not going to really be here. You're not going to see the French occupation of Istanbul. It's not going to happen. Right? So I, I, I was mentioning when I read this. Is that true? See, I don't know any. My parents didn't give me the gift of Yiddish. So there it is. Yeah. So, so he says, look, 
I don't think they're, the, the French aren't going to be here. You don't have what to be afraid of. He's basically saying, let me go. Let me go. And you, you might see over here maybe a little bit of a parallel to the Rabbi Nachman and maybe the sense of the rest. If, right, it, I need to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's a life or death thing. I don't care what's going to happen. And also the sense that, um, the sense that also that the Sifkeris that Rabbi Nachman does, this, you know, Hail Mary, um, this Hail Mary of sorts, to just be mafkir oneself, that that actually goes ahead and for the tzaddik it achieves its results. Because two days later, Rabbi Nachman does receive out of nowhere this cruise, this announcement that here all of a sudden there is a boat and there is somebody that does have pull to allow Anshe Stambul to allow him to go ahead and to travel. So it does, it does have its desired effect. Now he says, You don't have to worry about any Jew that's going to travel from here to there. Nothing bad is going to happen to them. With God's help, and God will protect any Jews on their journey to their kikvar. You should know, I already have my plot is already set aside in Jerusalem. And the people of Istanbul immediately heard his words. So immediately they go ahead and they hire a boat and they announce to everybody. Anyone who wants to join for this journey to the land of Israel shall go. Many men, women, and children gathered at the port. People from the countries of the Mugrab, uh, people from uh, Ashkenaz, people from uh, the Germanic lands, from Europe. And this would be Rabbi Nachman's vessel that would convey him to the Holy Land. Rabbi Nachman spoke to this individual who basically was himself the vehicle for Rabbi Nachman to travel to the land of Israel. He says, you're going to be the one that takes me to Jerusalem. So this was a secret between them. The person, individual, Rabbi Nachman says, I am foregoing uh, going to Tzfat. I'm foregoing going to Tiveria. I want to go to Yerushalayim. Now what's interesting, Arthur Green points out in his study in the second chapter of his book, Rabbi Nachman, that this is an interesting uh, shift in plans because as we saw earlier, two of the main reasons Rabbi Nachman ostensibly to be going to the land of Israel is one, to prostrate himself in the grave of his grandfather of Nachman Aretniker, which was, in the, which was by the Jewish community in Tveria. And second of all was to go ahead and to be misvied, to join together with the leader, the great Hasidic leader in the community in Eretz Yisrael, Ravon Kalisker. So Rabbi Nachman seems to go ahead and to veto those two options and to say, no, I'm shifting plans, Yerushalayim it is, and only Yerushalayim. <clears throat> Continuing, tap a page, Mem Gimel, page 43. And as the people were on the sea, there was a great storm. A great storm. I don't know what that word, apirtene, means. And the boat was in tremendous danger. The heavens came forth, right? The, the depths opened up. And it's terrible storm. And it wasn't, nobody thought that they were going to go ahead and be saved from this particular thing. I just want to mention that this uh, until the end of the paragraph is going to parallel to Hillim Kuf Zayin, which is, a, which is a psalm in Tehillim which directly parallels people. It's the psalm of, a psalm of Yodul Hashem Chazda V'nifla Osel V'vnei Adam. There's a beautiful song. Yodul Hashem Chazda. It's a big Hester Yeshiva song. V'nifla Osel V'vnei Adam. Right? To praise God for the wonders that He does for people. So it has this word it has these words in it so the rest of this uh, paragraph directly parallels they're living out the Psalm uh, 107 in Tehillim and they say and meet the people already had said we're not going to be saved from this everybody cried out to God and that night was like the was like the night of Yom Kippur itself everyone is crying imagine the scene Everybody is begging God for their lives and asking for expiation and asking to be cleansed from their sins. And they stayed up saying slichos and davening to God and begging God. And Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman sat silent. So 
Sounds like Yonah. Ah, very good. But it sounds like something more immediate. It is. It will be Yonah in a second, and you guys will see the payoff for that insight that you just had because it gets immediately. Very nice, right? We're on a boat. There is a storm. Everybody is wondering why the storm's going on. One person is quiet, not doing anything. Very suspicious. Who is this individual? But before that, more immediate. I think the biblical allusion over here is to this week's parsha. How fortuitous that we're talking about parshas b'shalach. Bnei Yisrael are standing at the cusp of the sea and they have the armies the chariots and legions of Paro going on behind them and Moshe Rabbeinu says to them Hashem yulachim lachem va'atem tacharishun have no fear God is going to fight your wars for you and you should be silent and then the very next Pasuk right strangely we could talk about this the Shabbos uh you know why this is the order seems to be rearranged because in the very next pasuk Moshe Rabbeinu is told by God Matitzak Eli what are you yelling to me for what are you crying out to me in tefillah v'tachanunim right Matitzak Eli Rashi says this isn't the time to go ahead and to and to uh, to have all different kinds of prayers and and to go ahead and to engage in all kinds of supplications so speak to the Jewish people and let them travel on. I'd be remiss if I don't mention parenthetically one of my favorite Torahs that I saw. It's like the, one of the first Torahs I remember that we see over here. And we did mention in the beginning, so it is somewhat connected in an ancillary manner. The Rabbi Nachman says, Gormai Nazach is tefillah. My whole essence is tefillah. So we do find in this particular thing, there's an interesting sefer that's called Sefer HaGematrios that Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid. Right? It's a collection of different gematrios that come from Yehuda HaChassid from the Hasidic Ashkenaz of the 12th and 13th centuries. So there they have an interesting remez and interesting hint that God says to Moshe ma Mem, hey, what are you crying out to me for? So now's not the time to extend oneself in prayer and supplication. Talk to the people. It's a time of action. Get a move and get into the sea and watch it split. Right? Stand and behold the, the, uh, the glory of God's salvation. So Rehuda Chassid, or attributed to Rehuda Chassid, is the following interesting idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was a master of tefillah. Moshe Rabbeinu, we see constantly being the person who, through the power of tefillah, is, to, is able to affect the most incredible changes and, and salvation for the Jewish people. So we find that Moshe Rabbeinu, he says over here, teaches us or in the Remes here, is God's telling Moshe the sod, the secret of the large tefillah, the long tefillah, and the short tefillah, and the, and the, and the small, uh, succinct, and terse prayer. The first long tefillah is the mem of ma. That is the 40 days and 40 nights that Moshe Rabbeinu davens for the Jewish people after the, uh, after the destruction wrought by the service of idolatry at the base of the mountain at Revelation. And he asks God, and he says, it's revealed to him, the Yagimu Midas Harachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy, and that he receives, uh, he receives, um, he receives forgiveness for the Jewish people. On the other hand, so that's a long tefillah, 40 days of davening, that's pretty legit. And then on the other hand, we see the soda tefillah haktsara, the secret of the short tefillah, that after Moshe Rabbeinu's own sister becomes afflicted with tzarat, Moshe Rabbeinu issues a tefillah of five words. What's the tefillah? Kel na refa na la. Right? God Almighty, please heal her. Close parentheses that that matitzak is, is the source, right? So, Gurmai Nazach is tefillah, right? All of my essence is tefillah contained in that one word in this week's parsha, matitzak, according to Yehuda Chas is the essence of tefillah as well. Close parentheses, let's continue. So he says, so he says, everybody's asking. So I thought that we have over here, uh, we have over here reference to Moshe Benu. Surely uh, the Yonah illusion is clear. We got the boat, we got the storm, we got the mysterious traveler with them, all that stuff. And, um, and they're, they're basically you know, dumbfounded. How could Rabbi Nachman be quiet at this time? You know, this is a time to go ahead and daven. You're a great rabbi. You're, your whole Indian is tefillah. Shouldn't you be davening now? So maybe Rabbi Nachman is channeling in a sense that, uh, that uh, mosaic notion of that now is a time for silence. Or maybe even at a higher level that certain times, right, l'chadum right? Sometimes we say that for God Almighty, silence is prayer. That uh, one rabbi caught another one praising God with all kinds of honorifics and he says, have you finished praising God, right? You know, we you you could go all day, and you wouldn't even touch, uh, scratch the surface of what you need to say. So Rinachman could go all night with tefillah and begging God to save them from this terrible predicament, the storm and the boat that they're on, and the danger to their lives. But what's it going to accomplish? Maybe sometimes Sometimes the greatest praise to God is is silence. Sometimes that's the only thing we can do. So maybe in a sense he's channeling that, and Rabbi Nachman sees the storm as the spiritual forces, as the menios, as we were talking about before, that are preventing his journey from reaching its culmination. 
from reaching its destination. So maybe that's why Rabbi Nachman is quiet over here. So he says, V'lo heshiv. Rabbi Nachman didn't to respond to them. He's stoic over here. So the, the Rebetzin of one of the rabbis on the boat, she, she was quite learned. She cried and, and, and shouted out in prayer the whole night. And she started also chiding Rabbi Nachman for what he was doing. Why are you silent? It could be that Rabbi Nachman responded very sharply to her and said, If only you too would be quiet as well. He says, It would be good for you. And this is how you know. If you guys are quiet, then the sea will also be, go quiet as well. So they listened. What else can they do? They took Ravi Nachman's teaching to heart over here. They were quiet. And then the next morning, the storm, the sea returned to its placid state and the storm subsided. The, 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 the waves, the, the froth, uh, went ahead and was still and they were all joyous to Hashem right so this is uh, what's interesting is that this whole psalm that we are talking about talking about your day your I shouldn't quote Sukkim off the top but the dome like this but the people that go into the sea in ships which is described in this Mizra Tilim. what's interesting is that in the Tilim itself which Rabbi Nachman again uh, and Rav Nassim are, are definitely conscious of over here mentioned three times, right? The refrain in that Mizmar Tillim in Psalm 107 is that they cried out to Hashem in their time of need, in their difficult time, and God saved them. So it's interesting that that seems to go ahead and run contra to what Rabbi Nachman is teaching them over here. The Rabbi Nachman is teaching them differently, which had achieves the desired effect. So that's an interesting thing. Maybe both are paths with which to go ahead and to achieve the state of Yodul Hashem Chasto, to praise God on His great mercy to us, but it's also doubly interesting that even with this conscience ref, conscious referencing of Kapitel Kuv Zayin, there seems to be Nachman going against the advice in the, in the Kapitel, which is, of course, to cry out to God and for God to save us, Mimitsuko Sehem, to save us from our depths. Okay, so let's continue, uh, let's continue on. Tesvav, deep breath. <sighs> Deep breath. So the boat was there without any water. So they ran out of water. Ah. They ran out of drinking water. That was on the boat. Right? By the way, as I told you, that they're literally living out biblical narratives over here. One of the psukim in Kovzayin is. Sorry, the next. Right after Az Yashir, right after the song at the sea, what happens? The people arrive at Marasa and they cry out for? Right, the people cry out for water. And the water over here, of course, is bitter as well. After a day or two, so they they managed to defeat the storm. They managed to pass the storm, but now they realize we don't have any potable water. They ran out of drinking water. Right, they only had Mara. Right, they only had Maim Hamirurim. They only had these bitter waters with them. It was maggot infested. So they gave everybody a ration. Everybody had like a little, a tiny little bit. They started rationing water. That's how desperate the situation was. So now the danger of, of uh, the very real danger of dehydration is far greater than that which they had experienced before. Right? It's like we say, Right, everything you've sent to me, right? It's one wave after another wave of breaking on top of us, and we can't seem to catch a break over here. So now they're now they're dehydrating. They beat the storm. Now they're dehydrating. Turning the pages, the people went ahead and davened, and now they started to go ahead and pray again. And then, sure enough, another great storm came. So what's amazing to me over here is that this, well, let's finish the sentence and I'll say my piece on this because I do have a piece to say uh, because this wouldn't, uh, this wouldn't be a sheer if I weren't just uh, running my mouth and uh, expressing everything I thought over here. So you could take it or leave it. And what happened? The storm winds go ahead and instead of going ahead and capsizing them, 
pushes them closer to port, and uh, within 48 hours, they're at the port, in the port, the frontier port of Jerusalem, which is the Irak Kodesh Yafo. So that they finally reach the port of Yafo, the boat, after a treacherous journey across the Mediterranean, starts to come into the, uh, the port of Yafo. So Rinachum wanted to walk arm in arm together with this Chacham, the Shadar that was in Turkey with him, who had managed to be the one who allowed them to procure the boat in the first place. So they want to go arm in arm to Jerusalem. And yet from God, there was a reason. Something happened. And the Arabs that were guarding the port said, sorry, can't. How anticlimactic is that? I mean, that's crazy. They just survived two storms. They survived everything that happened in Istanbul. They survived the journey down there on the wheat barge. They managed to go ahead and pass through this difficulty of dehydration. Rabbi Nachman gets your shlime. He's decided, sorry, Bob, you don't have the right papers. You don't have the right ability. You can't let you go in. Stymied at the last moment. If you were anybody else, this would be the moment, I mean, of pure carissa, of pure breaking down of, of how could this possibly be? I mean, how could it possibly be that after all of this, after everything I've gone through, right? How many times have I come close to death even? How many times have I gone ahead and done this avod but mafki myself? But we see that the avoda being mafkir himself, that dangerous avoda of abandoning oneself, means that even when they have this massive disappointment, this could have been the end of the story, even with this massive disappointment, Rabbi Nachman is still able to persevere. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about something bigger than me right now. I've been mafkir myself. I have no ego with which to go ahead and to react to this. Me? You're not going to let me pass through? Right? I, I, it's not, it's, there's no ego involved over here. There's nothing. This is a holy mission. And that's why this line, is such an important thing that there are signs that Rabbi Nachman taught us as well to look for in, uh, in popular parlance, right? To see the simanim baderech, to see the signposts along the way that God goes ahead into each and every one of us in our individual lives where we take a look at what's going on. So we see certain events, certain fortuitous circumstances that, like we said, like my Rebbe told us, no such thing is a coincidence, it's a coincidence. Everything is from God that we go ahead and we see it and it flows it's only going to be great if it's a we have to be the ones that see it and perceive it we choose to perceive our world we put on glasses of emuna we put on glasses of hefkeris of the ego of abandonment to the ego then we are truly able to see certain events and circumstances that happen for whatever reason that they happen right a certain conversation a certain interaction with an individual a phone call some happenstance thing that we see and this is coming not just from Yenach who comes from his grandfather his great-grandfather as well, the Baal Shem told us that this happens in Avodah Hashem all the time. That let's say a person sees something, a davar mechur, the Baal Shem Tov, and this Torah is recorded in Keser Shem Tov, you see something ugly, or you see somebody doing something ugly. So he says, part and parcel of our duty to go ahead and to chastise others and to, and to, and to when possible, keep other people on the straight and narrows to recognize that we don't see anything like that unless there's a lesson for us, unless we have a little bit of that inside of us. That everything around us is meant to go ahead and communicate a message. That God opens our eyes for those who are willing to see and to be able to perceive the messages all around us. Because God wanted it to be so because God willed it after this long journey and the arduous and the sense that maybe this would be the point that I finally am able to go arm in arm with this, with this uh, elderly rabbi to go to the gates of Jerusalem so I get my passport stamped, denied, turned around. So Rabbi Nachman says in Torah Nandalid, Rabbi Nachman says that we have to go in Torah Nandal in Likutumaran, he says, they have to go ahead and do this internally, right? So he says, there is not one machshava pratis, not one solitary individual thought that crosses our minds that doesn't need to be stopped and understood on its own as what is this meaning to me? What does this statement mean to me? Right? So like on Shabbos, for example, so we had the yard say, my Shabbos, Zechron, Levracha, right? So my Shabbos, Yusab, and Rav David, and I should also say that our learning tonight, uh, whatever learning we do, should be Rafu Shlema for our dear Chaz for Shema ben Yehudas, and that obviously the Chaz is in our minds for every, th- every learning, right? Much of what we do here is Beschus the Chaz, that's for sure, right? But uh, so I, I spoke about my Saba, and, uh, and I knew it was going to happen. It, wasn't, it, does, it doesn't even shock me at this point. I speak to my Saba, and sure enough, some guy is waiting to, for me after I go ahead and spoke on Friday night. Rabbi Robinson said, It's your Saba's yard site, isn't it? We remember, we was together with me the day that my Saba passed away. We're coming back from the Soleimani Bris. Uh, I remember we were on Great Neck Road, right by the gas station. So Rabbi Robinson said, you know, you should say something Friday night in Shul. It was Vav Shvat. It was my Sabbath Yard site. 
So I spoke, I said whatever I said in Shul, a Torah for my Saba. I didn't mention my Saba's name. Sure enough, a person comes over afterwards, is waiting for me after I'm talking to somebody. He says, is your last name Rosenfeld? I said, yes. He said, who was your grandfather? Was it Rabbi Israel Rosenfeld? I said, yes. He said, oh, it was his president when he was principal in Hartford. First time in Lincoln Square Synagogue. So that's, that's easy. Right? That's easy. I'm not even surprised by this stuff anymore. That's easy. So we could choose, for example, for something that big to dismiss it. We could say, what, what, what do I have to learn from this? Right? What am I supposed to take out of the situation? V'chein hala, and this happens, this happens much more often and in much more subtle ways. Right? Part, right, part of, um, I would say, the religion in, in Judaism, in its, in its most essential sense, is the art of noticing is the art of being able to take stock of the world, the art of, the art of looking at things that happen and recognizing that nothing is not me'es Hashem, that we're not just tossed and cast about into a callous and cruel and indifferent world, that a Jew believes that because of our kesha, because of the tether, right, where we have some sort of a lifeline that we're tossed off, that there's a leash, right, the leash, whatever you call it, talacha, tefillah, uh, study, talmud Torah, as long as we maintain that leash so we'll be able to experience the tossing and turning of this world and the seeming indifference and callousness that pushes us around the stormy seas of this world, we'll be able to perceive that there is a sipa. Remeis Hashem haisa sipa. Right? This is, uh, this is what we saw, you know, Paul Oster, the great, uh, the great novelist, Paul Oster, in uh, his uh, autobiography, in one of his memoirs, I think in the, infini- uh, the Invention of Solitude, I wrote down over here. So he talks about this, he says, you know, in Hebrew we would say it's perush leteva hamikra. How does a religious individual go ahead and give their own, right? All of us are commentators on our reality. Right? Some of us, uh, we don't pick up the mental pen that often, but all of us, to a certain extent, we are writing a parish on our own reality. Do we choose to make that parish a godly parish to say, this and this happened today, and I understand this chain of events as causing, as this causal chain as being for this reason, it's a godly reason, or do I understand it as Tziruf, uh, like Rav Shagar's language is Tziruf Mikrim, Right? It's a, it's a chain of happenstance. It's a chain of meaninglessness. A chain of, of random events. Or do we see this? How do we give our parish? How do we give our parish with Teva HaMikra? How do we give our own commentary onto the seeming happenstance of our lives? Rabbi Nachman knew how to do that. Rabbi Nachman taught us to look for the Siman in Baderech. Take a look. Ayin in Likut Maran. It's uh, Likut Maran in uh, Torah Nandalid. So that's the idea of, of looking for Siman in Baderech. The Ishmaelim didn't want to let him go in. They looked at how, how, how he was dressed. They looked at his face. Right? That he had long payas. Kanog b'Medina Seinu, as is done in uh, in our countries in Ukraine and Poland. Ve'she'ena yadeil l'shon of chiyotz. They didn't know their language. Vamr shubavadi echem me'amiraglim shalat zarfat. So now he's not going ahead and having a machlokas, right? Rabbi Nachman's having all these identities, you know, thrust onto him. Now he's not just somebody that's going ahead to foment machloket and division in the land of Israel, but he's an agent of uh, Napoleon. He's a, he's a French spy, right? So they saw his pairs. What's interesting though is we're about to see uh, that we're about to come close to. Rosh Hashanah, as I mentioned, right? Karmai Nezach is Rosh Hashanah. I just like saying the Yiddish because I remember the line and it sounds good to say Yiddish, right? It's a degree, confers a degree of authenticity perhaps to whatever else I'm saying over here. So in Chaim Oran, so Rabbi Nachman does say that anybody that connects to Rabbi Nachman through his Tikkun Klali, saying Rabbi Nachman's uh, order of 10 Psalms with which a person should go ahead to say is a general rectification for sin. So Rabbi Nachman does say that those that come and join Rabbi Nachman or by his Kevin Rosh Hashanah and go ahead and, uh, and say these kapitel to Hillim and they, and they resolved not to do any more Averus. Rabbi Nachman has that uh, interesting line. He says, I'm going to personally go into hell and I'm going to drag them out by their payas over there. So it's an interesting mention, Rabbi Nachman's payas over here. Perhaps Rabbi Nachman going to his own pivotal Rosh Hashanah in his life, the Rabbi Nachman, the payas, being the reason why he's not allowed to go to Yerushalayim, the fact that he has payas, right? the fact that he's now going into a kind of personal hell, right? the fact that he's stymied at this point, perhaps that's what engenders this later statement attributed to Rabbi Nachman Chaim Oran, that those that do connect with me on Rosh Hashanah and through my Tikkun Klali, that I'm going to grab them by those self-same payas, and that's what's going to remove them from purgatory. Perhaps we can understand the depth of a statement that 
might be uh, open to mockery even. What are you dre- like, what's that talking about? No, but in a sense, there's like a deep personal identification over here for Rabbi Nachman with the payas that perhaps stymied his entry to Shalayim, his own personal hell for the moment, and that that's what's going to collect and drag people out of their own hell. Okay, Adkan, right? So we continue, it says, For sure this person is a spy. No amount of begging, no amount of beseeching them to allow him to enter work. Nachman remains on the ship. Vahaya Bidasa captain. So it's in the uh, in the mind of the captain, Lis Akev Shamalasvina, to remain there on the boat, Lios Omid Yamim, right? To drift for a few days and to remain at port. It's two days before Rosh Hashanah. Remember we said Rosh Hashanah is my whole Indian? So Rinachman's pivotal moment in his whole life is Rosh Hashanah here, and then maybe that's what uh, 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 amounts to its significance for Rinachman later on in his life. Rosh Hashanah we see as a as a day of, of, of din, a day of judgment, a day of of harshness, right? Especially the first day of Rosh Hashanah, right? We, we call uh, in uh, Kabbalistic parlance, Hasidic parlance, the first day of Rosh Hashanah is Dina Tekifa, that's strong, that's very difficult, judgments, very harsh kind of a day, and then the second day is Dina Rafia, the second day is a kind of softening, a softening of the judgments, okay, we've already experienced the hard part, we've started the difficult conversation and now we're deep in it, what worse could be, right? So it's a little bit softer. So Rabbi Nachman's whole idea was going ahead and, and to being mamtik, to sweeten those judgments, to go ahead and to put a little bit of happiness, to put a little bit of joy and to say, even in the dinim, even when it's difficult, even when you're told, even after dehydration and storms and, and redifos and people chasing after you, making your life miserable in Istanbul when you're just trying to do your incognito thing. So for all of that, even when there's dinim, even when there's harsh judgments upon a person, rather than going ahead and saying, why me? A person says, okay, how do I sweeten this? How do I go ahead and put a little honey and sugar onto this and, and find, find the, how do I, how how can I drink up those dinim? How could I have that? Okay? So he says, It was two days before Rosh Hashanah. How fortuitous. But the boat could not stay at port. Because there was, there was almost like uh, big waves at port that were going to go ahead and capsize the ship. Right? There was no answer to why this was happening, what to do. Just like on their trip to Eretz Yisrael. Right, another minia, another thing that's standing Rabbi Nachman's way. Right, we've had the storms, we've had the dehydration, we had the border guards. We have now staying at port is even a difficult thing. Staying at port is a minia. So he says, right, how much? Right, as he was shaking our heads, how could this be? Right, So the captain said, Of course, that's a quote from. Megillus Esther, right? Esther tells Hasach to tell Mordechai, Ladas Malzevi right? Maybe this is perhaps an allusion to the depth of the hiddenness of God's countenance at this time, that this might be almost too much, Ravi Nachman, that there's too much a depth of uh, concealment of God's countenance. I thought we were over, I thought we had gotten there. So certain uh, people understood what's what over there, said, You see? So there were certain individuals that said this was the very self-same place that Yonah Hanavi was tossed off the boat. Right? So of course, right? So when I first learned this, I said, of course, and that if uh, you weren't convinced of the biblical illusions before. Rabbi Nachman assuming a quasi uh, a quasi prophetic mission over here, but in reverse, right? Because he's trying to achieve this higher level, and Yon is trying to run away from that higher level. So it's solidified over here. This is the very eight. nothing happens for naught. This is the place that Yonah ben Amitai was tossed off the ship. The boat could not stay moored there overnight. They had to move so they started to trawl up the, the, the coast of Israel and they made their way to the port city of Haifa. Leil Schorbris uh, is the Erev, Rosh Hashanah Slichos, and Uman for the kibbutz that gathers in Uman at Rabbi Nachman's Kever, uh, now tens of thousands strong, right? So we're not talking about any ordinary individual over here, even in, uh, right, we said, Sadikim and Mitasim Kruim Chaim, even in death, right? They're still alive. Rabbi Nachman's uh, personality, the force of his teachings, the force of his Torah is able to draw so many people to his grave, his resting place in that Ukrainian city. So this is the night before Leil Schorbris is a monumental thing. Everybody Erva Shoshana Slichos, the longest Slichos. So they reach Yira Kodesh Haifa Ve'amduet Zohara Karmel Neged Maras Eliyahu. And they were opposite in the boat from 
Mount Carmel and the cave of Elijah. And they... and they, uh, they began to say slichas that night with great joy. So what's interesting over here is that, what do you guys notice about this paragraph over here? It's almost like very hidden as to whether or not Rabbi Nachman and when Rabbi Nachman makes landfall. Right? You would expect Rabbi Nachman to go ahead and to make it onto land and, uh, and, and, and to have this monumental thing. But, but the first time it's mentioned to us, we sort of find, okay, Rabbi Nachman's there. Right? It doesn't say he's disembarking. It doesn't talk about... But now it says in this paragraph, We'll finish with this. So Rabbeinu HaKadosh now enters Eretz HaKidosha. He now enters the land of Israel. If you have shown us here of deep, deep pining, yearning, seeking, right? Rabbi Nachman had been desiring this in the depths that anybody had ever wanted to desire to be somewhere. And he gave himself over, he was mafkir himself, he dealt with anything, come what may, he had abandoned himself in this quest. And Rabbi Nachman had overcome so many minios, so many obstacles that, that stood in his path. And tossed his soul aside in order to be able to accomplish this. The greatness of his joy. At that moment, Rabbi Nachman was standing on holy land. We cannot possibly imagine. Even if all the seas were ink, and all, right, and the continuation, right, right, even if all the seas were ink, and if all the land was parched, skies were parchment, you wouldn't be able to write out the joy and the experience that Rinachman had when this moment, when he reached Machos Chefza, when he reached the point in the, 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 the destination of his journey. We couldn't express this in any sense. At the very first moments there, Rabbi Nachman achieved and accomplished and understood that which he sought to understand. Right? It says, even by taking four small steps in the land of Israel, Rabbi Nachman had accomplished that which he sought out to accomplish. Right? So it's, it's just a wow, right? It's almost like it's telling us, right? This isn't telling us, we could read this, this isn't telling us how small it is, you know, only four steps, but it's telling us how, how absolutely massive, if we want to understand how absolutely massive a concept Eretz Yisrael is for Rabbi Nachman, so Rabbi Nachman is telling us over here, not that Rabbi Nachman is so big that he's able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In, uh, in Dalit Amos, but Eretz Yisrael is so big that even four Amos in Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Nachman's wildest dreams are satisfied by just taking those four steps. That's like the Gemara tells us, Kol Mahalich Dalit Amos, Eretz Yisrael, right? So a person, then, even by walking four Amos in Eretz Yisrael, you've accomplished the mitzvah, right? The Halicha in Eretz Yisrael. Walking in Eretz Yisrael has a prophetic quality to it. Rabbi Nachman realizes the enormity of the land of Israel, that just by walking four Amos in this place, He's achieved everything he wants to achieve with this epic journey. After midnight, after midday, they went to the mikvah, then they went to the shul, they waited there until nightfall. When Rabbi Nachman went to his house, to the place there, I guess the Airbnb that he had been renting, the joy was monumental. Almost impossible to describe. He told Rabbi Yitzchak who was with him, he says, Ashrecha, 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 praiseworthy are you, praiseworthy are you that you followed through and you were able to be with me at this point. So he read from the Pisca, he read from the Petak that was with him, everything that was there, all the names of the people that he was davening for. Rabbi Nachman really believes that this is efficacious. He really believes that he's accomplishing something. So he's davening for his whole life. He's davening for all the people he left behind. He's davening for everybody that he was ready to be mafkir himself for this moment. He says, Take out the Petak. His household. And his chasidim. Right? The people that give him these these kapitlach, these kfitlach to read their names off. The Achlusham Suda Salaila. 
he ate there through the Salai of Rosh Hashanah, the Rosh Hashanah meal, Vakol Vesimcha Gedola Ad Achar Sauda Ad Sheshach Vusham Lishon. Great joy until they went to sleep. And after they reach the shul, they have a great brokenheartedness and a sadness starts and worry starts to come over him. That's impossible, also impossible to describe. And Rabbi Nachman wouldn't tell anybody. He wouldn't tell anybody what had started to befall him. So I leave it to you. Um, I leave it to you to think about. Uh, to, I think here, look, I'm not going to be here for the next two weeks. So I'll tell you a little bit of what I think that might be going on over here. Right? How sad. How sad. After finding the greatest joy right, that maybe one has sought for their entire life to have this kind of brokenheartedness. Right, so if, if we were doing this right, if I were a real teacher, we'd go ahead and, and we'd garner. You guys have been with us through the whole journey. What's going on over here? We certainly see Rabbi Nachman has described that Rabbi Nachman is a person of immense emotional capacities, far more than an ordinary individual, that his soul was able to bounce from the greatest heights to the lowest lows and then back again, and uh, moments of great joy and exuberance and moments of broken harness. Rabbi Nachman experienced these ordinary emotions far greater, and together with this Torah, that's what, that's what allowed him to be such a monumental teacher. Um, I was talking with a chavrus of mine, um, what does it mean for a tzaddik? Uh, I promise just three minutes on this. So if we believe that Hasidus tells us that the way in which we find davodas Hashem, service of God, to be easier, to be sometimes more meaningful, so one of the things we do is we attach ourselves to tzaddikim. We attach ourselves to adepts, to people whose connection to godliness, people who are able to do the avoda at a level that we aspire to, and we learn from them and we connect ourselves to them. It's such an important message and teaching in the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. And the tzaddik that we've been attaching ourselves to, hopefully over the last couple of weeks, has been Rabbi Nachman of Breslov and his teachings and the importance of his teachings and what those teachings mean for us, especially as evidenced by his journey and the teachings of his journey itself. So we find ourselves attached to this tzaddik and to find ourselves uh, going ahead and witnessing the ebb and flow of the tzaddik's emotions. So we ask ourselves, if we're attached to the tzaddik, what's it mean to us when we find that the tzaddik is brokenhearted over here after all this joy? And the question is, does a tzaddik find ta'anag ruchni? Does a tzaddik find joy? Does it, what's the internal life? Right? We said that Rabbi Nachman illustrates for us far better than reading anybody the phenomenology of a tzaddik, the tzaddik's perspective and experience of the world. And he put it down for us together with Rabbi Nassim and paper. So we would see that this would be a point of the tzaddik experiencing ta'anag. The tzaddik is reaching the culmination, this immense journey. The tzaddik is reaching this point to which everything has been attained, this great joy that's impossible to describe. And we're so happy. We find joy. You know, we, we jump up for joy. Yes, Rabbi Nachman's made it. His joy is our joy. But now his sadness is our sadness. So I think we have something illustrative of the internal life of a tzaddik. We say that Moshe Rabbeinu and Midrashim tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu is mevakesh from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right, the ultimate tzaddik. Right? So Moshe Rabbeinu takes the opportunity after davening for Am Yisrael, he says, right? right? God, show me your greatness, show me your glory, and tell me your ways. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara tells us, and the Joshua tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu seeks out the answers to the greatest questions. Right? Why is the way, why is the path of the wicked so easy? Why, why is it Sadiq for Rallo? Why is the world like it is? Why is everything so unfair? Why do Jewish people suffer so? All these great questions. So the Gemara says, the Moshe seeking, not the Gemara, our tradition tells us, the Moshe Rabbeinu is seeking out what we might call the 50th gate. The Shar Hanun, he's seeking out the sine qua non of human knowledge. And what does God do? God says, I can't show it to you. It's a choraitirah. The Gemara says that God was married to Moshe, the Keshishal Tefillin. He shows him instead at the nape of the neck, right? Just where the body goes into the brain, just at the seat of emotion. God shows him Kivyachal, the Keshishal Tefillin, which uh, Rabbi Arya Kaplan writes in his book about Tefillin, which is actually a deep teaching of the inter, uh, how everything, the interconnectedness of things, that right and left, Sitra the Amina and Sitra the Small, good and evil, all these things with God, they're all combined and, and mixed up together in the Kishoshal Tefillin, the Nad of Tefillin that leads up to the, to the Godhead, that leads up to the Kivyachol again the mind of God. 
that Moshe Rabbeinu was denied that ultimate level. Moshe Rabbeinu was denied the gates of Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu was denied Sharach Hamishim. We see this also. Ravichemaya Morgenstern wrote in his parish, a uh, great tzaddik of our time, wrote in his parish to the uh, to the parish to the Avod of Yom Kippurim. He said this might be the secret. This this might be the secret of why the Kohen Gadol, the holiest individual on the holiest day in Yom Kippur, after all the Minias, right, all of the all of the the things that could go wrong in in the circumspection needed in the Avodah, that not a single thing could go wrong. So the Kohen Gadol wears and adorns himself in the big day Zahav, in the in the in the golden vestments, the special vestments. The Kohen Gadol was elevated from from ordinary from ordinary Kohanim by Riboy Begadim, by extra extra vestments, and on Yom Kippur they were vestments of gold, the greatest glory that a person can have in spiritual realm, in the temporal realm in this world. And then what happens when the Kohen Gadol has to go, when the Kohen Gadol reaches the apex, the culmination of everything, all those garments come off. And what does the Kohen Gadol wear? Big day bad lava and shootim. You wear simple white garments, the same white garments that maybe the same that, that a Jew would be wearing outside, the lowest Jew would be wearing outside, at least I'm wearing white on this day. That Judaism tells us that if you're looking to achieve that final level of Eretz Yisrael, if you're leaving, looking to achieve that point where mati mati, we arrive, we touch it, and we could sense it, but we can never get there. Not in this world, at least. Not, a, not, not, as, we, not as we still have our mortality with us. Rabbi Nachman, perhaps, with this point in his journey, Rosh Hashanah and Eretz Yisrael, after everything, maybe I've reached the pinnacle of the journey, maybe I finally achieved what I'm looking for. Have I found it? No, you still haven't found what you're looking for. Rabbi Nachman recognizes it's not it. There's still another pinnacle. There's still another apex. To, there's still another mountain to climb. There's still more to be achieved. There's still more to know. There's still more to experience. I haven't reached what I thought I was reaching for. And if you realize that, if that's your realization after this great joy, right? This, so then if you're really attuned, so that's going to put you in a place. He says, a great worry, right? It's not just brokenhearted worry. Uh-oh. It's still not it. I still haven't gotten there. I'm in Eretz Yisrael and I still haven't gotten there. What a scary thought. Maybe I'll never get there, no matter what I do. No matter how much I'm after myself. No matter how much I go ahead and, and, and overcome all these minias. He says, and that's how you get. He says, Leiv nishbar ma'od bli erech. Broken heart that we can't imagine. And he couldn't even express this and didn't say this to anybody. So hopefully as we continue in our journey, may we never get close to what we're fully looking for because we'll still have the joy of the journey, the joy that allows us to overcome all the manias. I think that we're going to pause here. Uh, we'll see if we continue. Uh,